0: Good morning everyone Good morning. Life changing events I find that they are exactly what they say on the tin It's something that alters reality For you in one way or another It's something that happens Causes a shift And it changes us to our very core It affects how we perceive things And changes the lens to how we see life This can be a positive thing an eye-opening thing that brings greater freedom, but it can also be something that hems us in, that makes us more withdrawn and shut ourselves away. They come in many shapes and they come in many sizes. But I'm sure we can all think of some, whether they're personal to us or even have global consequences. Some examples could be thinking back to the First and Second World Wars, how they changed the lives of people across the whole world. And it also changed how they viewed life themselves and how they did life. It could be having children. It could be being involved in some kind of accident that affects your life. It could be winning some kind of competition. It could be getting a certain job. Like James was telling us the other week about his new job. And actually just how since a year ago of actually starting what he has been doing up to now, that's changed his life. It could be hearing about some kind of new discovery or something you're interested in. All these things can have great significance in our lives and change and affect how we can see things and therefore how we live. This ring on my finger, it tells you about a life-changing event of great significance that happened in my life. The thing that I can easily forget about this ring is that it's actually Alex gave it to me as she was making her vows to me of what she was promising to me to be faithful to me, to love me, to share life with me. I often look at this and think about my commitment to her. That isn't wrong. It's a symbol of our marriage. But actually, it's a sign of her love and her commitment and her faithfulness to me. And that's actually how the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit for us. It's a sign of the Father's love, commitment and faithfulness to us. So today I want to talk to you about the effect that a life-changing event had in the New Testament. It's an event that has far-reaching connotations and we've come to know this event as Pentecost. My focus today isn't on the day of Pentecost itself, but actually on the fruit of Pentecost in the early church. The outpouring of the Spirit of God upon his people, that is us, is truly life-changing. It changes everything. We can see from the start of Scripture, God's plan is to always dwell among his people. We see it in the Garden of Eden, God actually walking intimately and talking with Adam and Eve. We see it that actually He was in the Ark of the Covenant dwelling among His people as they were going through um, the desert. And then once again, even as we jump to the New Testament, we see that in this new covenant, God is wanting to dwell among His people. God is committed to being in community not only with himself as the Trinity, God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, but with his people. It's funny, we can look back through history, reading about great men and women of God, particularly we can look through Hebrews 11 and read the outstanding stories of the lives of people of great faith. And we can be like, I wish I was like that, I want to be like that, God, I want to be like that, but I I look at my life and I know that it doesn't match up with that. Yet, what the Bible says is so amazing. We don't, I think, when we look at it ourselves, we don't deserve to be spoken of how the Bible speaks of us. But it speaks of us as a people of God, a people of his possession, priests of God, holy, children of God, brothers of Christ. And that's what we are if you've put your saving faith in Christ. He has made a way where there was no way for us to be changed. For our legal standing has changed due to Christ's sacrifice for us. Though we were once enemies of God, destined to be judged accordingly to our deeds, we are now adopted into his family with the full rights of the sons of God, of the living God. This is the good news of the gospel, that Christ has paid the price for our sins, suffering the full wrath of God, giving of himself as a sacrifice for us, that we may be redeemed, that we might be the righteousness of God. Romans 3 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's amazing. We have this new legal standing, this new identity. The old has gone and the new has come. We have been made a holy people. That is now our legal standing before God. We are now holy and righteous. We are justified, and we are being sanctified by him, growing to be more and more like him, day by day, as the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. So now, because what Jesus has done on the cross, by putting our faith in him, we are part of this new covenant. It's not just God dwelling among us, but it's God dwelling in us, as we are children of God, I think the imagery from John 15 can be very useful here. We think about Jesus was divine, we are the branches. And though it doesn't specifically say this itself, I think it's actually beneficial to actually, in that picture, we can think of how the Holy Spirit moves through Jesus into us. He sends the Holy Spirit into us. It's a life source. So we are connected to Jesus and the very life of Jesus is now in us and flowing through us and causing us to grow. So here we can come back to our heroes of the faith. How can we live anything like them? Well, the New Testament actually talks about us being more blessed than the people of the Old Testament. Our response can be, well, yes, that makes sense for the 12 disciples. They got to spend three years with the wisest man ever taught the earth. They got to eat with him, talk with him, walk with him, see how he did things and learn from him. Surely spending three years with God incarnate must be the best it can be here on the earth. There can't be anything any greater than this. Yet Jesus himself testifies, I must go to be with the Father, that I may send a helper to be with you. That is the Holy Spirit. And he will do greater works, and you will do greater works than these because of it. That's a promise from God. That is God saying, this is the case. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to dwell among you, and you will be better off, and you will see greater things than you have already seen. It's what Jesus was saying all the time, wasn't it? The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is within reach. And that's exponentially growing through his church. We are called to walk by the Spirit of God. To be in relationship with him. How many of us really do let the spirit into the deepest part of our lives? Really let him be the closest relationship that we have? This is a challenge that I felt upon my heart as I was writing this talk. Do we share every aspect of our life with him? Do we surrender our plans and control to him? Or do we hide certain bits away and keep them from him? Think for a moment about those who are closest to you. It may be your parents... Close friends, husband, wife, partner, children. Any, any of those things or anyone else that you can think of. But why do you count them as so close? What is it that defines that relationship? That person A is closer to you than person B or person C? I think it's to do with the amount of time you spend with each other the access you give to each other, to each other's lives, the experiences you share. And I believe God is asking, what access do we give him in our lives? As this will directly affect how closely we walk with him. At Pentecost, we see the disciples filled with the Holy Spirit, and a dynamic change happens. They are no longer the same, but they have the life of Christ in them. Before Pentecost, A servant girl thought Peter was one of Jesus' disciples because of his accent, because of the way he spoke. They could tell he was a Galilean, and so they thought he must have been with Jesus. And yet after Pentecost, after Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit, he's recognised for being with Jesus as he was an uneducated man, yet who was full of boldness. We know that when Jesus denied... uh, Jesus? When Peter denied Jesus... (laughs) I know. <laughs> um, he was scared. He wasn't bold. There was no boldness at all. But yet, when he was clothed with power from on high to be a witness for Christ, that all changed. Jesus told his disciples before he ascended into heaven that they will receive power and be his witnesses when they were baptised in the Spirit. And this is exactly what happens. Today I want to look at the passage in Acts 4 where Peter, John, and the fellow believers pray in response to the threats to stop proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ after the hearing of the lame beggar at the temple gate beautiful. The believers had been baptised in the spirit at Pentecost, so they already had the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. They had already seen the fruit of this, but Jesus had promised that they'd be clothed in power and be in witnesses. Gifts of the Spirit were already at work in their lives. They were already seeing people converted because of the witness they were being, and people being healed because of the power that they were clothed with. So after Peter and John have just healed a lame beggar, been arrested, threatened to never speak of Jesus' name again, we pick up the story in Acts 4:23 to 31 And I'll just give you a moment to turn to that. Okay, so this picks up where they have informed their friends of the threats from the authorities and they respond in prayer. So when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them is actually, after you've been baptised in the Spirit, life is still challenging. It doesn't take the difficulties of life away. It doesn't make life any easier. I would still much rather face the difficulties in life, being a Christian than being a non-Christian. But those challenges are still there. So if all this passage doesn't show us that baptism in the Holy Spirit takes away life's challenges it does show us though that we can change how we respond to the challenges look at the disciples response here they don't pray for protection they don't pray that the enemies will be squashed or taken away but their focus is somewhere else the overflow of their heart is to do God's will and glorify Christ boldly what a stark difference here for Peter, as we've already said, from denying Jesus out of fear when Jesus had been arrested to now prioritising making Jesus, his name known, no matter the consequences. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in his life, creating a passion for magnifying Christ. And that's to be expected, because that's what Jesus teaches. Jesus teaches that when the Spirit comes, it will glorify him. What we see through this prayer is the believers are seeking to live out the reality of what Jesus has told them. That they would be clothed in power and be his witnesses when the Holy Spirit came upon them. And although they had already seen evidence of this happening, they are still pursuing more. They know they still need help from God in doing what he's called them to do. I believe that we have a lot we can learn from the way the believers prayed. They prayed as a unified spirit-filled community basing their prayer on promises from God in scripture the disciples started by acknowledging God as sovereign and as Lord they're lifting their eyes to heaven and declaring truth about who God is it reminds me of the start of the Lord's prayer our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name sovereign Lord they're praying how they were taught to pray It's an overflow of what Jesus had already taught them and the Spirit working in them. The next phrase, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, that's almost a direct quote from Psalm 146. The context of that psalm, or that verse in that psalm, is God is our help, he's our hope, and he executes justice for the oppressed. So it's a passage that believers can identify with in their current circumstances. They're taking scriptural truth that speaks of God being in control, being the creator and being our help, and declaring that in their current circumstances. They're saying, God, your word says this. We know it to be true, so this is what we're going to stand upon. The next section, of believers pray, quoting from Psalm 2, and take it as a prophecy about Jesus, spoken through David by the Holy Spirit. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. The believers interpret the king as Herod, the rulers as Pilate, the people and the Gentiles as the Gentiles and the people of Israel that crucified Jesus. This brings confidence and faith to the believers. They have noted that God reigns over all, that he has created all, and now that God's plan for salvation was evident through all of scripture. So nothing comes as a surprise to God. God won't be surprised at the difficulties that they're currently facing. God knows about it and said that he'll prepare them for it. They come to the conclusion that, God, you are in control and we can trust you. So instead of praying for protection... And I think that's probably what I actually would have done. If they actually pray, God, take note of their threats. They don't make a massive thing out of it. They don't go on about the threats directly for a long time. But what they're doing is they're entrusting these to God. Jesus always says, let's give our worries, our burdens, onto him. We can trust him. We can do that. We can offload those onto him. And that's exactly what they're doing here. They're not getting all flustered by it. But they're saying, God, take note of their threats. Be aware of them. But then they continue in prayer. They've just prayed with confidence about how God is sovereign and even how Christ's death isn't outside of God's plan. So they have confidence in God's plan, which brings faith to their prayers. Finally, the believers pray Grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. The believers know this is something they can't do alone. And yet are passionate to witness about Christ and magnify him. So they pray, God, enable us to speak your word boldly as you continue to do signs and wonders authenticating the good news of the gospel of christ i'm not even sure if in verse 30 when they said while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed i'm not even sure if they were praying god do this that's what quite a lot of commentators say but i always read it as they're saying god you're doing this we know you're doing this so we want the boldness to speak out and be part of it The whole prayer seems to be anchored in biblical truth, which speak directly into their situation. I believe that God is actually saying for us, do we let scripture shape our prayers enough? I think as we're led by the Spirit when we pray, that actually, the Holy Spirit will identify scriptures that speak into the situations and things that we're going for and going through and reveal promises of God for those things. And actually, we can pray those into that situation, and we can pray with confidence because we know we're praying the will of God. Once the believers had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God boldly. Their prayers were answered. They prayed boldly, they prayed full of faith. They knew they needed to pray, they were obviously intimidated, and yet God answered their prayers. Why? Because they were praying along God's heart. They were spirit filled. I don't know about you, but I certainly feel more often than not that I wish I had more boldness. And the truth is, so did these believers. Otherwise, why would they have even prayed the prayer? The confidence and faith of believers after Pentecost is amazing. And yet they felt the need to pray to be able to continue to speak the word of God boldly. They knew they needed help. They knew they couldn't just sit back and rely on what God had given them yesterday for today. Walking with God is an ongoing daily thing. And they are saying, thank you for your daily bread. Jesus taught us to pray. Back to the Lord's Prayer. Give us our daily bread. And they're like, God, you've, for the days gone by, you've given us what we needed. But now we need more for today. We need more for today. It's very easy to take this as what it means individually to us. But let's not miss that this passage is a community who are together, unified in heart, seeking to reach the people around them. It's not some special evangelistic event that they're praying into. But it's everyday life. Wanting to speak the word of God boldly Monday through to Sunday. And God grants them their requests. I count it as an honour and a joy being part of this community here. But also, I'm not content with where we're at as a community. And if I'm honest, I think that's a very good thing. I don't think we should ever be content with where we're at with our walk with God, but I'm just aware there's so much more. God has so much for us here in this town. God wants to do so much through us and in us. I long for us as a church to be bold in every day for Christ, because we are a spirit-filled community and want to magnify Christ, and it's just a natural overflow. I love hearing the testimonies that we have of people stepping out in boldness and God moving, but I just want to hear them more. I want to hear weekly people stepping out, being bold, talking about Christ, declaring what he's done for us. The believers had a confidence not just to share the word of God boldly, but also that God wanted to outstretch his hand to heal and to confirm with signs and wonders. I think a challenge for us is can we take God at his words and seek him for these things? I find it very easy to write. God says this, let's have faith for it. And then when I think about it, I'm like, actually, do I really fully live that out? But actually, it is a challenge to us. If God is saying this and his word does not return to him empty, then we can be an expectant people, an expectant that he is moving and wanting to do things among us and through us, it's expectant that his heart for Faversham is way bigger than our heart is for Faversham. It's always been God's plan to dwell among his people, to be in relationship with them, and for his kingdom to come through them. And if we're struggling to have faith for God moving in Favisham, Well, the Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I'd encourage us, let's seek what God's heart is for Favisham in his Word. If we don't have faith for what God might do here or what he's wanting to do here, let's spend time hearing the word of God for this place. Let's seek him, asking him to impact our hearts for this place. That we can not only say our vision for Favisham is this, But actually, we're saying God's vision for baptism is this, and we are convinced of it. Just like the believers were baptised in the Spirit at Pentecost, there was this need to keep being filled with the Spirit. And it's the same for us. We need to be open to being filled afresh with the Spirit again and again. As Scripture tells us of the importance of this, that we might walk intimately with God. And be together a bold witness to Jesus Christ here in Fabersham. There's just a a challenge I guess I want to leave us with. And that's, are we relying on the spirit of God in our everyday lives? So actually, are we relying on the spirit of God in our everyday lives? Or are we getting by ourselves? And do we have confidence in who God is to us? And do we expect him to bring us the boldness we need to make God known? So are we confident in who God is to us? And do we expect to bring and do we expect him to bring us the boldness we need to make him known?